Welcome to the Naturally Built Podcast, the podcast discussing landscape architecture with the people we build relationships with. I'm your host, Pablo Cortez. Um, my guest today is uh, Joel Schnowski. He is the co-owner, co-founder of LandRec Playspaces, play design-build firm um, of innovative, um, custom and innovative playground equipment. Um, Joel, thanks for uh, making the time. Um, I, did I get that right? As far as the description of uh, what Land Reg does, no, what you what you guys provide? Pretty much, yeah, you covered it. Um, yeah, thank you for thank you for um, inviting me. This is uh, podcasts are are things I listen to, um, so it's nice to be a guest. And I'm 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 kind of the person that I just don't like hearing my voice. So um, this may be the only time I actually hear the podcast is in real time. Uh, your, voice, your voice is coming through loud and clear. So I think we're, we're okay. Um, can you uh, maybe get in, into a little more detail about what uh, LandRec uh, offers as far as services? I know we've, we've worked together on a couple of projects um, where you're providing the sort of layout design and the equipment. Yeah, I mean, so on the surface, we really are, uh, you know, playground design and build firm. Uh, and so what that entails is, you know, we collaborate with landscape architects, uh, municipal uh, clients, private clients, corporate clients on designing a new play space uh, where play will occur. And um, how we operate is, you know, we really want to look at um, defining that play space as opposed to giving you a catalog, um, which is a traditional route, giving you a catalog of, you know, products and saying, here, pick one, you can change the colors to, you know, red, black, gray, whatever the case may be. Um, we're invested in the actual community and, uh, so, so we have a little bit more detailed process and care when it comes to designing of these spaces. Um, and we're a family-owned firm. I've got three kids who, you know, are basically playground testers and um, also, you know, push my sanity to the limits, especially right now during COVID. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're dedicated to really being the prime collaborator with clients on uh, looking at new, innovative, unique, and custom playgrounds. Yeah, and you mentioned your, 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 your clientele is pretty wide, right? You're, you're working with municipalities, you're working with um, uh, school districts, um, you know, private owners, things like that, right? That's, you're kind of, you're not just focusing on one sort of client, it's, it's basically whoever needs a playground in their space, <laughs> from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've kind of it, it's it's interesting. We've kind of um, and and my philosophy is, you know, there there's always a space for play. So really, you know, the traditional kind of playground, commercial playground, um, you know, structure is, you know, eighty percent of clients are usually park and recreation, you know, cities, municipalities, um, and you know, schools, and then you know diving into retail and corporate uh, developers when it can be but we really cover all of those and more um you know including you know children's museums um uh private retail uh malls 
you know, uh, private corporations, um, and and even you know, uh, businesses and you know, high-end residential um, when needed. So, really, where there is a space for play, I think that that really covers our clientele, and we have a wide swath. Um, in fact, we actually have a project with a chemical factory building custom slides out of that. So that's an interesting, interesting project. So, and I love those, you know, where, where it just the non-traditional um, process of, of how we can assist um, in terms of play uh, occurs. Yeah. Speaking of the non-traditional portion of it, your designs, the actual equipment that you guys put together, um, they're not your traditional sort of platform, post and platform uh, equipment, like you mentioned, right? Um, are, is there, are there any features that you're uh, sort of looking, that you've been implementing? Something that, you know, uh, how, how would I word this? Something that we can, if you look at it, you know, it, obviously it's not a traditional post and um, platform, but what, what would, what takes place you know, what replaces the uh, the platform part and the post part as far as what uh, Landrec uh, can provide? I'm definitely anti post and deck. Um, <laughs> so, you know, kind of taking it back through, um, really, we every every site is different and every client is different. And so we kind of take them through our design process to understand really what they need. Um, whether it be through materials, um, aesthetics, flow, the overall uh, design of the play space. And, and there may be some smaller post and deck um, properties on the site, but for the most part, you know, really we design holistically. And so we look at the entire site, not just, you know, our particular scope on the site, but like, you know, the walking paths, the vegetation, you know, where it's located, the history of the, uh, the space, um, the local culture there. And so by doing, you know, kind of starting our design process with understanding, you know, the assessment of the site itself, but also the community it's in, um, and then, you know, diving into a, a discovery session with all shareholders, understanding the process, understanding their needs and what they want, um, then we provide what, what I would assume would be more of a traditional landscape design or just design structure where we go through, you know, um, kind of a, like, like we mentioned, diagrammatic kind of conceptual board uh, space where we just dive into kind of a wish list of, of what they would like or, or things that are similar to what they like. And then once we dive into that, we'll go into schematic design and design development and um, you know after reviewing cost and budget construction drawings and then uh, once it's awarded we fabricate and install and then you know service that service that play space but um, to touch on your kind of anti post and deck approach um, we want to look at how we can really define that play space and so there's several different types of elements and kind of um, play components that really um, give children the what I call undefined play um, and so designing playgrounds is really about like not controlling chaos but you know basically looking at it and going okay how can we predict the chaos right how can we actually 
predict how children engage and, and, you know, how can we structure that so we allow chaos to occur? Um, and so if you look at traditional post and deck playgrounds and you can go to any park, um, most parks, um, most schools have those. And if you watch children play on those, that's prescribed play. So it's telling children, go up these stairs, you can take a left at this deck or right, you know, you can keep going up to an elevation and go down a slide, which is usually the reward center. Um, and then, you know, there'll be several different climbing components attached to this deck structure, um, all pretty much having the same uh, muscle growth, um, muscle memory system, like, you know, overhead climbers or, or, or stumps or whatnot to um, engage a client, uh, engage a, a child. So really what's happening is you're just seeing this large structure that pretty much has maybe four, five, you know, play elements that do the exact same thing. They're just repeated over and over again. Um, and that doesn't really help a child think cognitively and actually really strengthen their, their muscle, um, their muscles in their body. And that's really what play, you know, to be honest with you, that's really what we're in the business of is high gross motor play. Um, you know, about 80% or 85% of any playground structure or, or just area is, is focused on high gross motor play. Um, what we try to do is expose more of the other play uh, types, which are very important to a child's growth, um, that really dive into um, kind of how they engage with the world, right? So there's, there's gonna be like seven types of play. There's attunement play, which is kind of like this expressive sensory play, you know, peekaboo. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the body play and movement play, um, which is, which is pretty much represented in a play structure. You have, you know, overhead climbers, you have, um, balance coordinating, you know, components and, and that's where about, you know, 80% of a playground is, is just that. But, um, you know, looking at social play, pretend play, narrative play, creative play, um, and even object play, those are all things that children engage in and learn from. And that's what we're invested in. So when we look at a space, we wanna say, all right, where's our high gross motor play? Where do we think most children are gonna be engaged in? And what type of elements are we doing? We don't wanna create a, a, a duplicity event where we're doing the same thing over and over. So how would a child engage with this element? differently than the other elements in the space. And then what other elements circumventing that space or surrounding that area can they actually go into? And so by working with designers, we can actually say, listen, maybe in our scope, you know, they, they do the high gross motor, but what can you create to give them, you know, nooks and crannies for pretend play and social play? You know, maybe there's areas within the landscape that can, you know, dive into those, those features, because um, my philosophy is, is the entire space should be de dedicated to play. It shouldn't just be the playground area, you know, the, the area where there's an open field that engages play, um, the way the design of the actual walking paths are, that could be an opportunity for play. The dwell areas where there's shelter and seating, those also could be developed in a way for play. So um, 
in short, we really try and avoid and just not even engage in the post-conduct process because um, there's so many other types of, of play experiences where a child can engage in. And, um, and then we dive into materials, which is a whole different story in itself. Wood, concrete, steel, plastic, you know, polymers, those all have different feelings and experiences for children. And so by having a diversity within the play space of those different types, that's also beneficial. Um, but we, we typically, when in design, we wanna look for that beacon that's gonna call children to the play area, whether that be a large tower or sculpture that really draws them in um, and, and you know, gets them excited about that area. From there, you would see, you know, traditional experiences like swings, spinners, um, you know, bouncers. Um, all of those elements, really, you can't dress those up and say, hey, I'm going to make a custom swing. Um, <laughs> because the, the overall experience of the swing in itself is, is that, that is the element, that, um, that feeling of kind of having your, your your, your guts drop, you know, when you go real high and, and you have that pull down. Um, so those are things where it's like, you know, you really can't reinvent the wheel. Um, but I think overall, the overall sculpture or the, the, the overall, you know, look of that space can really fit within that community and strike a chord with that community and um, we've just found that traditional playgrounds just don't do that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great approach. Um, you know, you're not, you're not just thinking about that single play uh, structure, right? It's the overall side and how you can incorporate all the, all the uh, elements that you that you talked about. Um, especially if you can do that from the get go, right? From the beginning, where you can kind of look at the side and say, okay, now this this these are the items, these are the elements that we can incorporate. Let's see how they can we can best fit them into the space. Um, so, uh, so the custom part of the, of your work, um, I would imagine that there's maybe some, um, uh, hurdles that you have to go through or anything that you might have run into that will complicate things regarding, uh, accessibility, ADA access to the, to the playgrounds. Um, has that been an issue? Has that been anything that you've had to deal with? Yeah, I mean, so it, it, so speaking of custom, custom has its own kind of bizarre pros and cons, right? So the the benefit of custom is is it's a unique experience for children and the community. Um, the cons is is you're having to overthrow all of the status quo when it comes to custom. Um, and, and to define custom as in, you know, what I consider custom is, is probably different than what you consider custom or what, you know, most people kind of have an idea of custom. Uh, most clients tend to think of custom as thematic, right? So, hey, I want a, a fire station playground or I want a dinosaur playground. But in effect, really, they're still using traditional post and deck structures and they're dressing them with panels that look like dinosaurs or roofs that have some theme to them, but there really is no custom element there. 
Um, so when we talk about custom, we're talking about a whole, like a, a one-off unique element that has never been created before. Uh, and so the con of that is all of that work and engineering um, and, you know, quality assurance and verifying that it ASTM and CPSC and it's ADA guidelines. Uh, so th there is, there is a con to that where um, typically we find that clients that want to go down the custom path um, have to be prepared for a longer process than what traditional play has, especially traditional play where you can just purchase it out of the catalog. So that's, that's the first thing about custom. Um, the next is, is really getting, getting past the overall negativity of custom, um, where we have maintenance personnel that say, hey, how long is this going to hold up? You know, is this thing going to fall apart? I don't, you know, I don't have an instruction manual in front of me. And really, the, the downside of that is, is you have over 60 years of playground manufacturers kind of pushing um, a lot of park and rec facilities, just a lot of clients in general, away from unique and custom products due to, you know, the simple fact that it makes them more money to have them work within the catalog structures. Um, the bottom line is, is with our custom products, they actually last longer than traditional play. And the reason being is we design these, especially large structures, like you would a large, you know, steel structure or, e or even, you know, like a, like a home. So these aren't, these aren't something, you know, that you kind of, you know, aluminum, you know, hollow uh, structural steel posts um, that we're engaging in. We're engaging with, you know, dense steel members. We're engaging with concrete. And so, you know, um, very sturdy timber wood, you know, these are, these are products that will last 25, 30 years. And so that's another thing that we have to deal with is convincing and educating um, people who are managing the maintenance side of it and saying, listen, you're, you're actually going to have, you know, less of a problem maintaining this um, overall versus the million nuts and bolts and clamps and components that kind of come with the out of the box traditional play. Uh, so, so there's always like a huge educational aspect, but regarding ADA, regarding ADA is, is actually we, we meet ADA, but I don't think that's really sufficient enough for an inclusive playground. Um, so there's, there's this huge kind of draw within the industry now um, to push inclusive products. And I'm 100% behind it. I think that's a, a fantastic um, uh, direction for, to allow for all children of all abilities to, to access these areas. But um, we always try and stress that inclusion is not the same as ADA. ADA is essentially an access um, requirement for people in wheelchairs. Uh, and what we found is, is a very, very, very small percent, um, less than 0.01% of the, the population of children are actually wheelchair bound and, uh, or hold some type of um, gross motor disability. And so by designing a playground where it is, in, in fact, strictly focused on, you know, do we have a transfer station? Do we have that? that? That is the bare minimum. And so we try to go above that and actually look at the inclusive aspect of it, which is 
you know, do children uh, who have um, any type of you know, SPD, whether it's autism or Asperger's, are they included in this? Because they're actually the largest, uh, they represent the largest amount of, of children who have disabilities uh, versus children who have um, gross motor disabilities. Uh, so including sensorial-based areas, um, whether it be water or sand or, you know, color, uh, creating nooks and, and crannies and, and dwell points where children can rest and, and feel like they're, they can escape some of the loudness and, and play that's going on in the space. And, uh, you know, making it visually appealing for not just the children, but the parents, the caretakers, um, people who don't have kids who are enjoying the park. They want to be able to, you know, engage in that space that they have every right to be in without feeling that there's an ageist um, situation going on, i.e. you go to a park and there's a giant clown version of a playground <laughs> and you're going, man, everything else in this green space is amazing except for these really obnoxiously bright colors. Um, and so we focus on inclusion and ADA is part of that, but it's only a small part. Um, you know, meeting those requirements, um, in a creative way of looking at how can a child transfer this point and, um, you know, uh, really access those, those above, above ground elements, uh, we do so. And we, we want to make it actually easier. So um, not to ramble too much on, but if you go to a playground, imagine a child exiting a wheelchair from the transfer point, which is usually, if you're not familiar with it, it's usually the, the, the stairway of the playground. Um, and then imagine them actually crawling up those stairs. Now, that seems like a very difficult feat for a child, um, let alone a, a child who, who has no um, gross motor disabilities. Just have a, a, a child, you know, who doesn't have it crawl up the stairs with just their upper body. Um, so what we're seeing now is manufacturers have created the bare minimum children who have disabilities to engage in these spaces but the bottom line is is that they're not they're not really engaging it's a ghost approach meaning that you will never see a child actually do that in a playground you'll never see a child actually you know exit a wheelchair and go and experience those play items and so what we have to do and what we do is we take the inclusive inclusive approach and so we design based on universal design. So we know children in wheelchairs are probably not going to exit those wheelchairs. So what other items in the play space can we include? And that's when those sensory-based items come along. That's where those social play items come along. Dual play. Um, if they can't go up, you know, 20 feet in the treehouse, what can they do that's ground level where they can still enjoy the same materials and experiences as those children up in, in that higher, higher point? And so really looking at ground level um, elements is really the secret to actually making children who have those gross motor disabilities happy and come back to that play area. Um, and so that's where universal design really comes into play. Uh, um, th that's good to hear that you're uh, thinking about that stuff, um, you know, during that, that design process. Um, are there any of your projects or maybe even you know, other projects that you consider maybe exemplify sort of the entirety of what you're, what you're trying to do or what you've done um, that can, that's a good representation of what, you know, someone can expect from, from Landrec? 
Yeah, you know, we have we have some projects. I can't really go too much into detail, but we have some projects that are um, that really represent that and what the client wants. Um, in the past project we did, we worked with a private client, and um, it was a uh, it was on a baseball stadium roof. Um, and, and so one of the things that they wanted to do was obviously define, you know, their brand and who they were, but also allow for, you know, accessibility of all types. And so what we designed was a kind of a, a unique play space where we had a splash pad um, right next to the play area. And so children could go through the splash pad and, you know, water is essentially the number one inclusive play <laughs> product out there, by the way. Uh, uh, you know, Helen Keller is the perfect example of someone who understood water and the power of water and the power of play within water. And so um, having water or, again, some type of sensory-based elements um, where children can engage in it and there's no limitation to gross motors is key. So we designed a, a space for that. We created shade area for, for children to rest and respite. Um, and then we built, you know, some um, with our fabricating partners, we created some sculptures that again, you know, more thematic, right? It's a baseball stadium. So it makes sense to incorporate baseball, but we did it in a unique way where we provided high gross motor challenges for children. We provided social um, challenges for them. And uh, we created in a way where uh, not only can children kind of engage and climb on these structures, they can also hide underneath them. And so there's a bit of space for dwelling. But one of the things that we focused on was just controlled uh, or predicting the chaos, right, of undefined play. And so some of the interesting things that we we've learned through the years is sometimes it's better if we just get out of the way. And by having, you know, having all the, like all of these structures everywhere and just covering the space, it's actually kind of detrimental. Um, so by having um, kind of a little bit of like old school playgrounds, I don't know if you, I don't know, you know, kind of the playgrounds you grew up on, but you know, my traditional playground when I was growing up was there was a steel slide, you know, 50 feet over here, there was a teeter-totter another 100 feet away. I mean, they were usually pretty far away. And then you just had like a swing set, you know, and that was it. And it was on grass, by the way. There was never any fall surfacing or whatever. So, yeah, or sand. Um, so, <laughs> or sand, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so by kind of bringing back a little bit of that spacing within, um, within the, the play area, it gives more flow to it. And so it allows children to create their own games. And that's really what we're about. Play spaces does not, does not mean playground. It means a space or an arena for play to occur. And so that's really what we did there was we, we did have those sculptures. We had those defining moments for that client to really brand who they were. Um, but at the same time, we allowed flow to occur where children can play tag, they can play lava, they can, they can engage in these games that um, they just traditionally wouldn't be able to do as easily on a, on a traditional post-index structure.
Well, Joel, thanks for, uh, again, taking the time. I think we covered quite a bit. Um, is there uh, any way that people can get a hold of you or learn more about uh, what LandRec offers? Uh, yeah, they can hop on our website, landrec.com. And uh, that's land, L-A-N-D, and then rec, as in recreation, R-E-C.com. And uh, they can contact us through the contact us link. Um, or they can give us a call, 805-277-2015. And um, we'd be happy to talk. I could talk all day about play, so. Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll include a link uh, to the website in the, in the notes. Um, is there anything that you've, uh, that you've been doing or reading, see, watching that you'd uh, like to share that you think maybe other people might enjoy? I think if you're really engaged in just learning about play, but not just that outdoor play in playgrounds, um, you know, definitely read Science of Play by Susan G. Solomon. Uh, uh, she goes into a very in-depth detail about global play trends uh, and, and how playgrounds really enhance um, children's development and the community at large. Um, another good book, which is just more about like the, the science of play, which is just called Play, and it's um, by Dr. Stuart Brown. And he formed the actual National Institute of Play, which literally has article, I mean, a million articles on play and the benefits of play. Um, those are great books that I recommend if you're really serious about diving into that subject to go into it. Well, Joe, I, uh, again, thanks. Um, you know, I look forward to uh, working on, on some more projects with you in LandRec. Um, Absolutely. It's fun. Yeah, you got some interesting stuff going on. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're good. Um, unless you have something else to add, we can kind of wrap it up right here. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you, Pablo. I want to thank my guest, Joel Schnowski with LandRec Playspaces, for taking the time to sit down and uh, talk with us about his company and his work. As always, our intro and outro music is written and produced by our good friend, Robert Wood. You can find new episodes of the Naturally Built podcast on the CTL Landscape Architecture Instagram page. Thank you for listening, and go out and build something. <laughs>